0: You are listening to the Life Church Podcast. To learn more about Life Church, our gathering times at any of our central Indiana locations, or our Life Crew online, visit us at lifechurchin.com or follow the link in the description. Today's talk is from Pastor Kathy Edernell. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 14. Last week, Pastor Mike made a statement, and I thought it was excellent. It was The grace of God had a grip on David but David did not have a grip on the grace of God. And we're going to see that come out today as we do this portion. There's all kinds of family problems. We know that it started out with Ammon, David's first son raping his half sister. Her brother Absalom therefore wanted to come and and make things right because dad didn't make them right. This is definitely a picture of a of failure of a father and you know one of the things that we stand for here is fathering sons and daughters into the kingdom the importance of the male role in relationship to the family but it it we can't just throw it all there but basically that is the importance of the scripture god it puts a man in charge of the family and so we see that that there was all this chaos because David didn't stand up and do anything about what happened to Tamar. And so Absalom ends up killing Ammon. And then he puts himself into a a self-banishment. He runs home to his grandfather who was a king of another area and there he stayed for a period of years, two years, and, or three years rather. And and then we find that Joab steps in and we're going to see, you heard some of that story last week about how he, Joab went and, and hired this woman, so to speak. She was an actress who came in and as David had been affected by stories in the past, remember with Nathan, now he's affected again by a story. And, and he comes and, and, and because of that story, he, he actually condemns himself and the things that he had done. And so we find that Joab then is told, yes, go get Absalom and bring him back. We find that in the 23rd verse, it says, So Joab rose and went to Geshur, brought, brought Absalom to Jerusalem. However, the king says, let him turn to his own house and let him not see my face. So Absalom turned to his own house and did not see the king's face. Shall we pray? Father, I pray that as we look into this portion today, Lord, even though the things that are there are very negative, Father, I pray that we'll realize that that negative aspect came because people didn't step up and do what they're supposed to do. And Father, it comes because of condemnation. Lord, today we know that we have been freed from condemnation because of what Jesus did for us. And so Father, as we look through this story, as we gain wisdom from the things that we see, Father, I pray that you'll make us to be the people of God we need to be so that your kingdom can be advanced and there can be freedom for those who have been broken in jesus name amen amen david's stipulation you can come back but i don't want to see your face well that seems i don't know maybe he felt because he had been tolerant in the past this maybe was something that made him seem to have a little bit more strength Maybe he was trying to make those folks who who were condemning him feel a little bit more that he's justified, he's he's doing the right thing, he's keeping his son at an arm's distance, he's not just overlooking what had been done. Maybe that could be part of the thought there as to why David did what he did. Maybe it was a factor that David wanted to give Absalom a period of time to think on what he's done. You know, Maybe he couldn't send him to his room, but he could say, stay in your house. Stay in your portion of, of, of real estate. Almost like, well, like a house confinement, not necessarily that drastic, but similar, because he was made to go to his own house. And so he didn't have the freedom <clears throat> just to go out and do whatever he wanted to do. Maybe he thought, if I do that, maybe he'll think about what he's done. And he'll, he'll get a change of heart. Like we send our kids to their room or we make them stay somewhere. Think on those things. <clears throat> but we see that, that it just it just did no good because of the failures of David. He either was too harsh or not harsh enough. He didn't do what he should have done to deal with the issue. Why did Joab want Absalom back? What was the purpose for that? Well, I think Joab was really seeing that that this young man now was actually the next in line as far as men's opinion to take the throne. And I think Joab knew it's best to keep your enemy close than it is to keep him at a distance. And I think that he thought, if I could get them back together, maybe there can be some kind of reconciliation and it'll be good for the whole country. I don't believe that, that Joab had an evil motive at all in this. I think he really wanted to see this relationship come back together. Now let's look at verse 25, it says, Now all Israel, in all Israel, there was no one as handsome as Absalom, so highly praised. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no defect in him. And when he cut his hair, the hair of his head, and he did it at the end of every year when he cut it, for it was heavy on him, he weighed the hair of his head to 200 shekels by the king's weight. Absalom was not esteemed because of his great character. He was esteemed because he was good looking. He was good-looking. There was not a flaw in this man. And you know, when someone looks for a leader, don't they love to see somebody tall, dark, and handsome? (laughs) Someone who's going to be able to to just sweep them off their feet, someone they can put out there, look how good they look. Well, he looked good, but his heart was not good. And you know, it's amazing today how people will follow someone regardless of what they are as a person, because of their appearance. Dan and I were watching a movie the other night. And Dan says, you know, I can hardly stand to watch that movie because I know the character of the people that are in it. And it's contrary to what they are. There's a lot of that, isn't there? So Absalom was, was, he had this head of hair, I mean, When you think about it, he cut it once a year. When he cut it, he weighed it. Who's gonna weigh their hair? You know? Apparently there must have been a lot of pride. Look who I am, look how handsome I am, look at me. And he weighs his hair. And it's actually about five pounds of hair when they go to cut it. Some of you guys probably like to have some of that hair, right, there you go, right. (laughs) so his wickedness was ignored because of his appearance he was proud of it you know when you consider the first king that israel had what did they say about him he stood head and shoulders above everybody else they were caught up in his appearance what was true about David? He was short, <laughs> he was smaller, right? That's okay, isn't it, Mike? He was... <laughs> and God said, don't look upon the outward appearance, look upon the heart, because the heart is what matters. And it goes on to tell us in verse 27, so Absalom, To Absalom was born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a a woman of beautiful appearance. Now, what, what does he name his daughter? Tamar. After his sister that was raped. Apparently, there was something about this affection that he had toward his sister that he wanted to honor her by naming his daughter after her. There's something about what you name your child. You know, my daughter, you probably haven't heard the name Donya a whole lot, but that name came from my best friend. And when I saw that baby, I knew there wasn't anyone I wanted to name my daughter after more than I wanted to name her after my friend, Danya. There's a love, there's a respect, there's a wanting to have honor placed upon that person. And that's what we find with Absalom. He wanted to put honor on this sister that had been defiled, but it also made him recognize that he was not going to forget what happened to her. Every time he would see that little girl and mention her name, it would be a remembrance. So we see that Absalom never really allowed forgiveness in any way to come into his heart. And what happens when that happens? We kill ourselves, don't we? We destroy ourselves. And it goes on to tell us here that that, uh, he had three sons. Well. If you go into the second Samuel chapter 18 and verse 18, there's almost like a contradiction here because it says now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and reared up for himself a pillar which was in the King's Dale. For he said, I have no son to keep my name in remembrance and he called the pillar after his own name and, he, and it, call, it was called unto this day Absalom's place. Apparently, Absalom faced the loss of these three sons. So all he really had was this daughter. And he wanted to make sure his name would not be forgotten because it was a son that would carry on the name. You know, he, apparently he didn't follow in his father's footsteps to take more than one wife. We don't see that there were any other children born to him. We don't know how soon all this happened, but all three sons apparently died in an early age. Verse 28. Now Absalom lived two full years in Jerusalem, and he did not see the king's face. Three years in, in Gerim, Gershom, Ger, come on. Gershom. Gershom, sorry, and then two years now in Jerusalem. Five years he hasn't seen his father's face. What would that feel like? What would that feel like? Can you imagine maybe he saw his father from a distance? Maybe he saw him even walking on the roof of the palace. We don't know. But can you imagine having you being the really the number one son now and he won't even see your face. He won't have anything to do with you. Can you imagine the the hurt and the anger? And looking at this, and and this is just unfair and unrighteous because he felt what he did was righteous. Verse 29, and Absalom sent for Joab to send him to the king, but he would not come to him. So he sent again a second time, but he would not come. Again, this leads me to believe that there must not have been a way that that he was free to go to the king. He had to have Joab come and make a way for him to do it. He called him once, didn't answer. Called him a second time, didn't come, because we find out Joab had to come to his house, okay? He, he was tired. He was tired of the con- kind of like the confined situation he had. He was in a situation where he was being ignored. And then think about Joab. He says, I've got him right where I want him. He's here, but he's not able to be free to just do everything. This is perfect. So what, does, what do we find Absalom had to do? He had to do something that touched Joab. And I'll tell you, when things start touching you personally, then you begin to take notice. And when they start touching your pocketbook, your wallet, it makes a big difference, right? What was happening here? He was having his barley field burnt. See what the next verse says? Therefore he said, this is, this is Absalom, said to his servants, see uh, Joab's field is next to mine and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set it on fire. He needed somehow to get Joab's attention. And it didn't matter to him whatever it takes. There are some people that they could care less who they hurt or what they do, whatever it takes to get what they want. And that's what we find in Absalom. And some people call that part of an Absalom spirit. (laughs) I guess it could be associated with that, the kind of attitude, I'm gonna get what I want, I don't care how I have to do to get it. We also see that he had influence, tremendous influence over other people, even to the place of helping them or making them to do wrong. Isn't that interesting? There are some people that can so be so winsome or, or so able to influence someone that they could influence them to wickedness. And that was the case here. I don't know whether, um, I don't feel like there's any sorrow at all that we see in relationship to Absalom for his sin. And I wonder if, if Joab is just almost afraid a little bit now. He's beginning to see the fury of this man and the power he's even wielding over his servants to make them do something like this. And we see that Absalom is not afraid of authority. Who's he burning? Whose field's he burning? The general of the army. You know, this, Joab was a man to be reckoned with. And he's so out there that he doesn't even seem to be concerned about the kind of authority that, that Joab has. He's there to show him he's got some spunk in what he's doing, too. So both men you wouldn't want to mess with. Verse 31. And Joab rose, and he came to Absalom at his house and said to him, why have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom answered Joab, behold, I send for you, saying, come here, that I might send you to the king, to say, why have I come from Gershon? is, it would have been better for me to stay there now, therefore, let me see the king's face, and if there is iniquity in me, let me put it let him put me to death. I think Joab was a good politician. I think that Joab um, really wanted to 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 be in a situation that he wanted to have some favor, so to speak, with Absalom, because he was seeing that there was favor coming to him. And so he was, he was kind of positioning himself in a way because there might be a future associated with this young man as well. Joab was um, almost a little bit afraid to cross his will. Just, just, just wait and see what might happen here. Verse 32 said that, that he said, I have, I've pulled you here, because you've got to go and talk to the king so that I can say to him, why have you brought me back? It was better for me to stay with my grandfather. There's no purpose for me being here. Let me see the king's face, he says. And if, and I love this portion, and if there is iniquity in me, let him put me to death. What does that tell us about Absalom's attitude? He still feels he's right. He feels he's justified in what he's done. He stood up for his sister. He made things right when David didn't make things right. He's haughty, he's self-confident, and that's not the way a son should ever approach a father The moment you see haughtiness and this self-confidence, this attitude, I'm right, as a parent you better know, you gotta put that down. He's not like the prodigal son, is he? What was the attitude of the prodigal son? In Luke fifteen seventeen through 19, it says, I will go home to my father and I will say I've sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please let me be as one of your hired servants. That certainly is not Absalom's attitude. If he thinks he should kill me, let him kill me. He's he's a snot. <laughs> you know? Do you ever do you ever just want to take someone like that and just shake him? And it goes on to tell us in the next verse in 33. And when Joab came to the king and told him he called for Absalom. Thus he came to the king and, and prostrated himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. David's better judgment, I think, was blinded by his affection. He wanted something changed. But you know, when when parents, um, they defeat themselves, when they try to, to just let things go, when they don't rebuke, when they don't come against the things they should, it only comes back to bite you. And if you deal tenderly with evil, it will assuredly raise its head and crush you. David appears to be paralyzed. He he appears to be paralyzed by his own condemnation. He looks at the situation with Absalom and he realizes he did wrong. But he doesn't seem to have enough. He's just tired of the whole thing. You ever get tired of being in the midst of, of a situation where, where you don't know what to do and you've thought you've every single way of trying to figure out how you might get things better and, and they don't come together and, and you just get tired? I think that's where David was. I don't know what to do. I've thought about this. I've thought about how I ought to do it, and it just, and because he had no confidence, because that condemnation of what he had done was so real and was so bombarding him, he was just in inertia. Pastor Mike made another comment last week that I thought was excellent. He said, our sins take the breath and the authority out of our worship. Our sin takes the breath and authority out of our worship, but it also takes our ability to make wise decisions in dealing with our family. Our sin takes that breath and confidence away from us. (sighs) David kissed him, he offered Absalom forgiveness without repentance. Isn't that it? He came in. Absalom throws himself down on the ground. There's no words. There's no words of sorrow. But what looks like to David, because this would be easy, he seems to be repentant. And so David just goes and kisses him. In 2 Corinthians, there's a portion of scripture that Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says, I am not sorry that I sent you a severe letter, though I was sorry at first, for I know it was painful to you for a little while, but now I am glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, but listen to this, but, but because The pain caused you to repent and change your way. It was the kind of sorrow, he goes on to say, that God wants his people to have so that you're not harmed by us in any way. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which is what we see in relationship to Absalom, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow, an appearance of. Was he a good actor? Oh, I think. Was David foolish? Oh, yeah. But our desires sometimes for that wayward one is so great, we leave down the bar. I looked at this and I thought, where did all this go wrong? how did how did absalom come to this place and you know do you know what absalom means the name my father is peace was that ever contrary to what he knew <laughs> right his father had brought nothing of any kind of peace it began with his father being unequally yoked what had he done? He had taken wives that were not even of their, the the uh, Hebrew people, the Jewish people. He opened the door when you become unequally yoked with someone you aren't in, having the same likeness of faith. It opens a door wide for division. This man's heart was wounded by his parents. <laughs> And it created a severe lack of trust. David had become a poor example, and as a result, remember we talked about what one pers- person does—you know—in in seemingly a little thing, our children will take to an excess, and that's true of our 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 people in church, too. Whatever we do, they will take it to an excess, one step further. People are watching us all the time. It produced a pride problem in Absalom. He felt justified. He was on a crusade against what he thought was unrighteousness and injustice and he refused to let things in the hands of God. That's probably when we're the biggest fool, is when we think what we do is going to change everything around. We better have the mind of God as to what is what he wants us to do in those situations. His authority Authority, in a sense, meant nothing to Absalom. He could have cared less who he was coming against. And folks, when we lose our place of authority because of our failures, that's one of the worst things that can happen in our family, in our church, in our workplace. When our failures cause people to lack trust in us any longer, we lose that place of authority. We see that Absalom could manipulate. He had a winsome personality. Like I said, he could cause somebody to do wrong and they felt okay about it. He was a great actor and even that symbol of false humility, he thought could gain him acceptance, and it did. He was what we call amoral. He wasn't concerned about whether something was right or wrong. He was only concerned about getting the results he wanted. So it it feels like the ends It's all right to justify the means. He was a flawed father, failing in his ability to do the right thing because of his own condemnation. David might have been forgiven of his sin, and he was, right? God forgave him. His infant son, became the sacrifice, so to speak, for his sin. But something David never knew was justification. What does justification mean? To be made just as if you've never sinned. David didn't get that. He didn't see that because he didn't have an example, so to speak, of that that we have through Jesus, right? David could only look at his many failures and and Satan could come along and beat him up with them. He was not able to come to the place of Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus or who are in right relationship with God. And I want to read you the the next portion of this. It says, and the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. What's happened when we come to Christ? Every failure that we've ever had has been placed into the sea of God's forgetfulness to be remembered against us no more. I like to believe that, that God would have you and I plant a no-fishing sign there. Don't go back to those things. Yes, you failed. Yes, I failed. But don't let the enemy beat us once we've come to Christ because we deliver him back to Jesus and say, Jesus paid the price. Jesus covered. He's taken his righteousness. He's put it in my bank account. I'm righteous. And therefore, those things that were there are under the blood. We are a new creature. And therefore, when the enemy comes with accusations, send him back to Jesus. And as people of God, as parents, as leaders, wherever we are being placed, we cannot allow the former failures to be stopping us from bringing people to the place where they need to see they need to repent. And not just I'm sorry, but a change. And when we don't bring people to recognize that they need to change, there needs to be an about face, then we are robbing them. We're robbing them of the joys that this life can bring and we're robbing them of salvation for eternity. We're guilty. So when we look at things and we say, oh, I love this person so much, I don't want to hurt them. We hurt them more. God wants us to take our place of authority that's given to us in relationship to the realm that we live under and stand up. In 2 Timothy, and this is, I guess, one of my favorite verses. It was was my one of, sometimes when you you graduate from a Bible school, there will be scriptures that, that become something you hold on to. It becomes your scripture for your life. And it says, and the servant of the Lord must not strive but he must be gentle unto all men. And this is what we are to be. This is the authority we are to take. We are to be uh, gentle to all men, apt to teach patience, and in meekness, instructing those who impose themselves. What is meekness? Is that milk toast? Is that, oh, no. Meekness is a preference for the will of God. Did you hear that? Do we have a preference for the will of God? Does that matter enough that we will stand for the things that we know are right to stand for, regardless of who that's going to affect? And then it goes on to say, instructing those who oppose themselves. What are they doing? They're they're causing their own pain and their own hurt. They're destroying themselves. And if we don't step up with the authority God's given us, we are allowing it. And then it says, if preadventure, God will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. And I liked a different translation. It says, you never know how and when God may sober them up. <laughs> I like to say, God, can, God never changes our will. He won't make us change our will. That's our choice but he sure can send strong persuasion. And I think here we should be able to pray for God to send situations into people's lives. Do we care enough about people to say, Lord, if whatever it takes, yes, whatever it takes for them to get back in the way they should be, whatever it is. that they might recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who has taken them captive at his will. You know what? I don't know if this spoke to your heart at all. I don't know what kind of situations you might be in. But I'd like to challenge you, if you have allowed the enemy to condemn you from the, your life in the past or things that you've done in the past, to not stand up for the things you know are true now. Don't let it happen. Amen. You're not that same person. Amen. Hallelujah. And God has given you authority to make a difference right. <clears throat> that'll change somebody's life for eternity. Yes. I challenge you today. If you feel like you're in that kind of place and you're just not sure that you've been able to fight that condemnation, then come today and let the Lord give you what you need to be to see someone that you love much advanced in the kingdom of God. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.